this is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the week's top stories about heightened security at the state capitol, COVID-19 mitigation and vaccinations, and the governor's executive authority. We'll also get commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb about the inauguration of President Joe Biden, the status of youth sports, Facebook payouts, and more. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at thecentersquare.com, the country's fastest-growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state-focused news and information site. We deliver essential Illinois news and information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you want to get a quick update on what's happening at the state capitol in Springfield and across the state. Our team writes short, impactful stories that help all Illinoisans understand what's going on in their home state. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Our team covers government and the activity of elected officials so you can make sense of how their activity affects you and your family and your future here in Illinois. We know Illinois because we live in Illinois. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. Thecentersquare.com. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Here are some of the top stories from the past week. The plywood on the windows of the Illinois State Capitol building that was put up last week after the FBI warned of possible armed protests is coming down, and it cost taxpayers around $30,000. Governor J.B. Pritzker ordered 250 members of the Illinois National Guard to Springfield. The Guard set up a perimeter, blocked off streets, and were carrying rifles. The Office of the Architect of the Capitol said that they were starting to take down the plywood boards Thursday that were put up on Saturday, and they hope to have it all removed and completed by Monday. There weren't any armed protests, and the architect wasn't aware of any reports of vandalism. The next mission of the National Guard in Illinois will focus on COVID-19 beginning in February, according to Major General Richard Nearly. We expect to have more than 400 service members assisting communities across the state in distributing and administering this life-saving vaccination. Neely said a lot of the Guard's vaccine mission will focus on Cook County with the assistance to other counties throughout the state as needed. While some businesses are excited by the relaxing of COVID-19 mitigation in their region of the state, others stopped following the governor's rules long ago. In Springfield, Craig Rhodes was pleasantly surprised when Region 3 leapfrogged from Phase 4 Tier 3 to just Phase 4. He said that allowed him to instantly open his Kingpin Lanes bowling alley. Uh, the first thing we did was get on Facebook and, and, and put out a post, and uh, uh, that brought people in immediately. But just south of Springfield, State Representative Blaine Wilhauer said his district spans over three of the governor's regions. In one region, indoor dining's prohibited. In another, there can be 25% capacity. A third region can have 50% capacity. He called the situation a disaster. People don't know what's going on, but I'll, I'll be honest with you. The, the folks in my district, by and large, they stopped listening to the governor uh, months ago. You know, he's moved the goalpost so many times. It's so confusing. He has no credibility. Wilhauer said some businesses have stopped following the governor's edicts. They've been doing it safely and responsibly. And, 
you know, I think that ultimately we're going to be in a better situation be, because of that. You know, we've had less restaurants shut down and, and um, you know, close their doors and, and things of that nature. Where it really hits us hardest is with our schools. While schools aren't affected by the tiered mitigation structure from the governor, Wilhauer said, the sports, where student-athletes still don't have any certainty. Every state around us is doing it. Our kids are going to those states. You know, they're playing basketball on the black market. And things are moving in the right direction for youth sports in Illinois, but the high school association and executive director said that there's still a lot unresolved. The IHSA announced low-risk sports like badminton, cheer, and bowling competitions could begin after seven practice days in regions of the state that meet certain COVID-19 metrics determined by the governor. IHSA executive director Craig Anderson said there's the possibility basketball and even football practice could begin soon, depending on the region's metrics and depending on the local school district. With 11 different regions and each one separately having its potentially own little criteria above and beyond what then local districts need to approve, you know, if and when in some sports they can compete, are they or aren't they going to have spectators? Because in certain tiers, you may be able to have some spectators. So um, I I get it. it. It's complicated. Anderson's pointing student-athletes and their parents to a COVID-19 resource page at IHSA.org. Blake Turner, coach of Lanfear Boys Basketball in Springfield, said the news of contact days for sports to begin after January 25th is great, but he said the team still needs to get the green light from the Springfield School Board. Look forward to hopefully playing basketball in the spring and hopefully you know being able to compete for that state championship that we felt like was in our grasp this year and last year. Anderson said there's a lot more sports guidance expected, including a possible spring football season, to make up for the one lost this fall. But even that's up in the air. Our board will likely consider an adjustment to the football season. And, you know, in addition to the the weather circumstances that will play into that and the winter sports, I think additionally is still that unknown of if and when we'll be able to compete. A lot also depends on guidance, the Illinois Department of Public Health said is being worked on. There's an indication the Illinois House will provide oversight of the Pritzker administration's handling of COVID-19 under a new House speaker, something welcomed by members of both parties. Last week, Democratic State Representative Fred Crespo said for months he and others have grown frustrated with the lack of cooperation with the Pritzker administration on things like unemployment backlog and fraud. But I think if you speak to either Republican colleagues or Democratic colleagues, we're asking for the same thing. And we're not getting that information. Reportedly, Crespo was helpful in generating support among Democrats for new Illinois House Speaker Chris Welch. Republican State Representative Blaine Wilhauer has for months decried governor's unilateral authority and said Democrats failed to speak up under former Speaker Michael Madigan. I think that uh, Speaker Welch has said specifically that it's his intention for the legislature to be a check on the executive branch. And, you know, I, I, I welcome that with open arms. State Representative Mike Marin said the legislature's failed to hold the Pritzker administration accountable on things like unemployment. There's also the backlog of firearm owner identification card applications. And, you know, I think you're seeing a disturbing pattern here with a lot of uh, uh, the, the administration. Uh, and so, you know, FOIA cards is just a, another example uh, of where uh, the governor's failed. Democratic State Representative Mike Zaleski said he'll seek more leeway from Welch for legislative committees. Maybe we give committee chairs a little more uh, ability to control silos of policy, and I think he'll be receptive to that. 
Under Madigan, most of last year, House committees didn't provide oversight of the Pritzker administration's handling of COVID-19, with the exception of hearings about an outbreak at a veteran's home. With the new state legislature, some hope to bridge the divide between rural and urban Illinois. Thursday, Region 6 of the state, part of the governor's COVID-19 reopening plan, was moved to Phase 4, allowing 50% indoor capacity. State Representative Brad Halbrook said that gives businesses struggling to stay open some certainty, but he said how the pandemic's been handled shows the divide in priorities between urban and rural areas. There's differences between uh, a Chicago that has 10,000 plus people per square mile versus my home county and a lot of my surrounding counties that have 29 people per square mile. The densities are different and the way to handle those things are different. Halbrook said it's also evident with gun control issues. We've probably got in central and southern Illinois uh, as a per capita ownership of firearms greater than you know the city uh, and yet we don't have the issues with the firearm uh, like they do in the city. He said downstate Illinois already has a seat at the table as elected officials. They just want their voices heard. House Speaker Chris Welch last week said to bridge the rural-urban divide, they have to find what they can agree on first. It's all about you know, trying to find what you can agree on first. Once you do that and go through that process and build trust, you can start tackling more difficult issues. Welch announced his leadership team of all Democrats, including State Representative Larry Walsh Jr., who will be his downstate caucus whip. The legislature returns February 2nd. And even though he's no longer Illinois House Speaker, Michael Madigan may still have his hand on that pen to draw maps for the state's political boundaries. Cole Lauterbach has more. Once the federal government sends Illinois its updated census results, Democrats will have until June 30th to complete a redraw of state and federal districts and get it approved by Governor J.B. Pritzker. State Representative Tim Butler says there's still questions about whether Madigan, who has stood at the helm of previous reapportionment sessions, will still be allowed to do so. How things roll out here in, in the near future is going to be very interesting. Uh, to see what kind of influence the speaker is, what what kind of influence Mike Madigan might have uh, moving forward within redistricting and really within the Democratic Party overall. Butler filed legislation that, if enacted, would create a nonpartisan redistricting commission that would redraw the state's political boundaries. The measure was struck from the ballot by the Illinois Supreme Court in 2016. Speaker Chris Welch and the Democratic Party didn't respond to requests for comment Thursday. I'm Cole Lauterbach. One of the nation's largest tax credit scholarship programs that helps disadvantaged students attend a private school in Illinois is running out of time. Kevin Bessler reports. Invest in Kids, enacted in 2017, is a five-year pilot program and provides scholarships funded by business and individual donations. Anthony Holter, executive director of Empower Illinois, says everyone should have the opportunity to choose a quality education. Those who are already most marginalized or disenfranchised, those options don't exist for them. Uh, they, they cannot seek uh, other options. They cannot move to a different public school district and can't afford tuition. Shelby Doyle is the Director of Communications with National School Choice Week. School choice is not necessary just because we think there's something wrong with the status quo. It's necessary because of how we think people are. We think they're individuals and everybody has a different need for what's going to work well for them. National School Choice Week is from January 25th through the 30th. I'm Kevin Bessler. And those are the top stories from the past week from Illinois. Find more online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop.
Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Illinois In Focus podcast. This is the Crosstalk segment. I'm Chris Krug, publisher of the Center Square here in Illinois, joined by my good friend and colleague, Dan McCaleb, our executive editor. Danny, what's going on? Man, we have a new president. Uh, still the middle of winter here in northern Illinois. Um, looking forward to uh, the coming weeks. Yeah, coming weeks when, know, it's, when it's not the middle Whatever. of winter here in Illinois. <laughs> yeah, me too. And anybody with an earshot, this is uh, actually it hasn't been a bad winter. I mean, uh, of of all we've lived through some bad winters here. We've lived oh, yeah. through polar vortexes one, two, and three. Um, those are Snow pretty cold. Snow Snowmageddon. <laughs> yeah, uh, but you know uh, this has been pr- this has actually been uh, been pretty pretty mild um, in comparison. Um, let's, uh, let, let's, sh- let's, let's shift from this riveting, uh, conversation about the weather, uh, over to a riveting conversation about, the uh, the inauguration of the 46th president of the United States, Joe Robinette Biden, uh, was uh hand on the Bible. I think it was a Bible, uh, on Wednesday, he's now the president. Mella Harris is the, uh, madam vice president. What's going on here, man? How did this go down? Was there any violence? I was looking for the violence. Where was the violence? I thought this was going to be madness and mayhem. No? No violence in Washington or state capitals across the country, uh, thankfully, um, despite uh, warnings that there would be mayhem and whatnot at state capitals and and the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. It went uh, fairly smoothly, of course, Mm -hmm. uh, because of covid precautions it wasn't quite the um the huge event that past inaugurations have been but it is going to be an interesting and um you know depending on where you stand uh, uh somewhat scary next few days and few weeks as we as is uh, president biden um, issues executive orders after executive orders and many instances undoing um, what former president uh, uh, actions former president trump took um, it's, uh, with their promise of pushing forward a progressive agenda, um, it's going to be a little interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what happens to, to everyone's taxes. Yeah. I feel, I, I feel you on that. Um, so from the opening, uh, bell here, the, the orders that were, that were signed yesterday, uh, anything, anything in that group pop out? It's a lot of, I mean, obviously the, you know, we talk about the, Paris Accord and getting back into that, which uh, at Keystone XL pipeline, not great, right? I mean, what and, and, what and, else? Yeah, well, energy energy policy is what's uh, it, it seems to be one of the first things he's tackling, and what that's going to do to um, the oil and gas industry and en- energy prices um, everywhere is a little scary. Uh, he he did uh, uh, he did roll back uh, the permit that allowed the Keystone XL pipeline from uh, Canada through the United States down to the Gulf Coast in Texas um, to stop construction of that. In the la- over the last several years, uh, the, the United States has become energy de- independent. We no longer uh, need to rely as much on Saudi Arabian oil, Middle East oil, Chi- Chinese and Russian oil. Um, we, we have been producing enough here in America that we are a net exporter of oil um, right now. But these rollbacks, including um, the, the Keystone XL pipeline and his vow to end uh, allowing new permits for drilling on uh, federal lands, um, that could very much change that. And we could become more reliant on Middle East oil. Now, what does that mean for people in Illinois? Um, it, it could mean that you're, the, 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 
the price to heat your home, the price to fill up your, your gas tank uh, is going to go up significantly. Now, it's not going to happen overnight, certainly not going to happen overnight, but we, you know, we've got at least four years of the Biden-Harris uh, administration. And when you stack those kinds of policy decisions up, it's going to have a dramatic impact. Yeah, it's, um, it, it, I guess, the benefit of taxpayers who are trying to sort through what's coming. It's coming in waves. <laughs> we'll talk more about the, some things that are hitting at the local level um, uh, in a moment. But uh, but yes, the, uh, the the Biden administration seems full full steam ahead, uh, full speed ahead, I should say, on uh, on undoing the Trump era and kind of rebooting the Obama era. There's not like a lot of, let's say like clever new that I saw in, in, in this mix. It was, it's kind of like, let's just pretend the last four years never happened. And, yep. and even, even though that there was, you know, a tremendous amount of prosperity here in the United States and, you know, wages grew, um, the economy grew significantly, economy grew significantly in spite of the fact that uh, that President Obama on his on his way out the door said there's no way that you could make this economy grow anymore, so it's just foolish to think so. Oh. It's just policies under the President Trump, like the the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, passed by a Republican-controlled Congress, signed by a President Trump. Um, Democrats, um, progressive, warned that it was just a big tax cut for the wealthy, for wealthy corporations and whatnot, but that's not the case. Um, all Americans saw, saw their taxes cut, um, had more, more disposable income to spend to grow the economy. You know, until COVID-19, um, we had one of the greatest economies ever. Of course, COVID-19 and government restrictions across the nation um, uh, that, that closed small businesses uh, led to massive layoffs. That certainly impacted uh, the economy the economy in 2020, but that's a bit of an outlier because of the pandemic. Um, but uh, President Biden has also vowed to, now he'll need legislation, he'll need Congress to pass this, but vowed to, to roll back those tax cuts. So what's that going to mean? So just you've got these just a wave of different policies that are going to affect Americans' income. Yeah, one of the other, I mean, obviously, you know, one of the uh, first pieces of business that the the new um, Biden Harris administration uh, undertook yesterday was, and we're taping this on Thursday, so we're talking about the talking about the inauguration on Wednesday was the national uh, mask mandate. So I mean, we're never too too far away from COVID, although it seems to be an an absolute effort to start to move away from COVID. And oddly enough, it seems to be a Democrat pushed idea, uh, not odd in its timing in that it's on the heels of the inauguration and, an, and a new, uh, a new start, uh, a new administration. But here at the state level, we're still in some, you know, realm of chaos. Um, let's start with just, Let's start with you sports first. You know, I mean, um, this has become a pressure point in uh, in not just in in the, the Chicago area and the Chicago suburbs, but across the entire state. Illinois is unlike virtually every other state that's around us, and unlike most of the United States, we do not have a whole lot going on with youth sports right now. We were talking. We were talking earlier about uh, carjackings being up in uh, not just here in in Chicago, and they're up in an incredibly crazy way here in Chicago, over a hundred percent. 
Um, is there a connection between kids not having enough to do and kids going out and stealing cars? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a social, I'm not a sociologist, but the, the youth sports issue, Dan, has been maddening for all. Where are we with that? And where does the end appear to be? Well, the sad thing is we're, you know, we're nearing the end of January. We're beyond the middle of January right now. We're uh, five months into the school year and we don't know. We do not have a plan. Um, of course, fall sports, all fall team sports were canceled, volleyball, uh, football. Um, we'd be in the heart of uh, high school basketball uh, season right now. We're not playing basketball. There's no plan for when basketball is going to resume. Everyone's talking about wanting to resume um, uh, the winter sports season, maybe even getting a football season in, but there's no plan to do it. Right. Um, and, and it's almost the end of January. I don't, I, I don't see how at this point. We're, it's going to happen. Sadly, uh, uh, our high school seniors are going to miss out on an entire uh, school year of, of, of team sports. M many schools are still in remote learning. Um, it, it, it's been a wasted year because Illinois, particularly uh, because of Governor Pritzker's um, mitigation efforts and the, all the restrictions he's put on uh, uh, on everybody across the state, uh, it's it's going to be a lost year. Yeah, and it's an it's an absolute shame. I mean that it, that it's come to this because it didn't need to be this way. And I think that that's the biggest the biggest hardship of this is that it didn't need to be this way. This was the construct of a governor acting largely alone, almost exclusively alone. Certainly no legislature, you know, chipping in with ideas or you know, parameters for a return to play or, 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 or anything like that. And the, the um, legislature, yeah, just like, you know, just like it's been a wasted year for um, uh, schools. It's been a wasted year for the legislature. They refused to go in and check the governor um, to have public policy debates on all these restrictions on um, what's been, uh, you know, a mostly remote learning year for students, which has been a disaster. You and I both have personal experience um, with that. Um, but the legislature's just taken a complete hands-off approach, allowed uh, Pritzker to be a one-person um, executive, essentially, um, mandating uh, what's going on. And, that, and that's, because, that's why we're at where we're at, where there is no plan for, for resuming high school and, and youth sports well the, it just doesn't seem like there's a plan for you know truly there there was a plan for resuming much of anything and i think that of all of the hypocrisy that you know, we watched unfold over the past year for all the bluster from governor jb pritzker about what a disaster the trump administration was for denying the science and, and data not putting together a national plan not having you know, some sort of structure. Trump administration left that to the states to deal with individually. And and my understanding of that and from just watching COVID unfold, like I think any of us could have, every state had a different set of circumstances and a different set of issues. There needed not to be a national policy beyond inbound flights and things that could be controlled, external things that could be controlled by the federal government. Inside the state of Illinois, this has been just policy disaster after policy disaster. I mean, the nursing home desk under the state's watch, that's absolutely abominable. And the, the rest of, of what is occurring now as it pertains to mitigation 
is still too confusing for anyone of any level of intelligence to follow because it's incomprehensible. Right. And and, and now and going back to schools in terms of schools, now school districts, some school districts, uh, the state the superintendent is talking about extending um, the school year into the summer. But again, there's no plan for that. Um, how are how are parents and families going to plan their summers if they don't know yet um, when school is going to be over because of the the lack of planning? Um, it's it, 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 every way you look at it, it's a, just a mess, and yeah. it's only in Illinois. It did not have to be this way. Neighboring states are playing youth sports. Neighboring states have more kids, at least in a hybrid models uh, 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 where kids go to school part time and kids go into the classroom part time and kids learn from remotely part time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it, it's unreal how how much of an outlier Illinois has been uh, during COVID. Uh, an island. Uh, out in the middle of uh, of the uh, United States, I think one of the the sort of the easiest ways to point to how confusing all of this is is t- to go and take a look at the story that um, our Greg Bishop wrote this past week about the regions. There are eleven regions in the state of Illinois, you know, um, and they're connected, and I believe they're connected to. Um, hospital capacities ultimately that's the sort of the end of the line so how these regions are 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 created they're geographic of course but they're connected to access of of uh you know access to these hospitals and like the worst case scenarios um but within this story you have legislators whose districts overlap connected communities that are in some cases three completely separate levels of mitigation. How could you, how could you navigate through that? Tell me more about this story, first of all. And uh, and yeah, and just help, let's try to make sense of this because I mean, it's not just enough to sit here and and rant. And then, you know, you and I rant a little bit every week because we watch what goes on with the state of Illinois. We care about the state of Illinois. We live here. We want this place to be better. We want this to be a great place to live. Things like this don't make it a great place to live. Right. So the governor's divided the state up into 11 regions, as you said, but then there's four phases of his reopening plan or his mitigation plan and within those four phases there are up to three tiers of of of, um, of mitigation plans so you there's up to 12 different plans in 11 different regions and it seems like every single region is in a different one of those 12 different um mitigation plans and some of in, in as you mentioned some lawmakers are with within multiple um regions uh, one uh, who we quoted in the story, Representative Blaine Wilhauer, uh, has uh, is his district spans three regions, and each one has a different level of restrictions. And he said nobody can keep keep up with what their region is allowed to do. Uh, it's constantly changing. It's um, you know you, you could have restaurants could, uh, on one side of the street that are allowed to open because they're in um, one specific region, and then on the other side of the street they're not allowed to have any in-person uh, dining because they're in a different region and um, uh, their restrictions are are tougher. Um, here's an interesting uh, quote that I want to quote from Representative Wilhauer. I'll be honest with you, the folks in my district, by and large, they stopped listening to the governor months ago. He's moved the goalpost so many times. It's so confusing. He has no credibility. 
and I think we've been saying that ourselves uh, on this show for, for months now, he has no credibility because the goalposts do keep moving. People are confused and people have just tuned him out. I, I've talked before. My daughter's a senior in high school. She had a, a she had a restaurant job um, back in October. She lost her job. Of course, she's saving money to go to college. She's already mm-hmm. been accepted at a college out of state. Like my son uh, left the state too. Um, she's going to go to college out of state. She's <clears throat> working to save money um, um, for college. She lost her job for six weeks. Um, but the, the local restaurant that she worked at said, we can't survive without opening our doors. So they defied the governor's orders. She's gone back to work, thankfully for her. So she's able to make a little money, set a little bit of, bit of money aside um, um, for college. But the point is, the governor's been so erratic um, that people have, are turning him out, tuning him out. And just for survival's sake, um, that they're defying his orders. Yeah. So, so it's just, it's a mess across the state. Uh, uh, different um, business owners, different uh, uh, people are doing their own thing right now, and I don't blame them for it. But it's because of the lack of leadership uh, in Springfield. And, and I, I, not that this is on the uh, on the board, you know, with uh, DraftKings uh, or FanDuel. But if I were a, a betting man, I would say that from here on out small business owners, restaurateurs, anybody who has been able to limp along and is still open or open in some capacity is just going to open it up. That Regardless of what happens here over the next X number of months, while we bumble our way through the uh, distribution of, of vaccine, which is we, that, that's not in line for us to, to talk about today. I think we need to come back and sort of report up on that over the next week but the the distribution of vaccine is 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 goofy um but i would say that business owners at this point who have made it alive to this moment are saying whatever and the street translation of whatever is not whatever (laughs) (laughs) you know it's they're enough's enough they're they're going they're going really they're going for it at this point um, they can't take them all out. Um, I'd like to see them try, to be honest with you. I think this is where we, you know, where st- small business owners stand up and stand up for themselves again on their own, independently, but but united, and just say, you know what, come get us all because you're starving us. You're starving our families. You're starving the people and the families of the people who work here. No more. No more. Your rules were goofy. They don't make any sense. Nobody can follow them. You're scaring people to stay to stay home constantly when that's not necessarily uh, in everyone's best interest. Selectively, it's in people's best interest. It's not in everyone's best interest. It makes no sense. So I, I think you're going to see an uprising. For those people who are staying at home, Dan... And shopping online, uh, they will be surprised to, to learn and surprised to see that in addition to the tax that they're paying um, to the state for an online transaction, that now they may be paying also a county and local municipality tax. What is going on with that? Yeah, so effective January 1st, um, uh, all online purchases in Illinois, if you make a, if you go to 
whether it be you know Amazon or a, a local retailer, and you you make a purchase online, um, they're all now subject to, uh, in addition to the state's 6.25 percent sales tax, uh, uh, they're subject to local uh, sales taxes. So surprise, surprise, a segment from the crosstalk section of Illinois in focus, we're talking about a tax increase uh, in Illinois. Go figure. Um, so now, you know, if your municipality charges um, an income tax, it's going to apply to online purchases. If your county also applies an income tax, it's also uh, going to apply to online pur- purchases. So, if, for example, if you live in the city of Chicago, you're subject to both Cook County's 1.75% in uh sales tax and also the cities of Chicago's 1.25% uh, sales tax. Um, so you're just, your costs are going up. Another surprise. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks a lot. You know, that that's great. Well, I mean, the good news here is it, that it's going to a great cause. <laughs> right. To pay for more, to pay for more government, more government, more pension. Yeah. 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 So I, I hope they enjoy that. Yeah. And I liked in, in Greg's story, the, piece about uh you know if you're buying a teddy bear in the city of chicago you're not going to pay 10.25 percent uh if you're buying it online it's it's nice i think teddy bear sales are going to be they're going to be down i think they're going to be down it's it's a further disincentive to participate in the economy i I don't know man during covid19 restrictions i think we all could use a teddy bear to cuddle once in a while yeah if the teddy bear had a bottle of whiskey in it i would say yes to that Uh, uh absolutely um and finally, our good friend Mark Zuckerberg is going to have to reach into his wallet and um, stroke a few checks to Illinoisans whose uh, faces he snap captured <laughs> on his on his little website called Facebook. Um, class action settlement uh, amount is has has been uh, determined within a range. If you filed, and I believe you had to file back in November, um, I think that was the deadline. Yeah, it, yes. was, it was right before Thanksgiving. Correct. Uh, because I remember feverishly filing um, on behalf of uh, myself and, and others who had been so badly wronged by uh, Zuck on that deal. Uh, we're going to get about 350 bucks of uh, of uh, Zuckerberg's money. That's um, What are you going to do with yours, Dan? I haven't decided what I'm going to do yet, but you are correct about you and 1.6 million other Illinois residents um, filed as part of the class action against Facebook, um, which settled uh, with for uh, $650 million for violating Illinois' Biometro, Biometric Information Privacy Act. Boy, that's a mouthful. Um, but so that resolve, if you take away, you know, the, the, the attorney's fees and, and whatnot, that amounts to about $350 uh, per, per person. Um, which if you filed, as you said, you had to file to be a part of the class action to be eligible to receive uh, the payment, um, you should be receiving um, in the coming months. Well, I can't wait to get it. And you still didn't answer my question. What are you going to do with your Zuckerberg money? I think I'm going to buy a few teddy bears for me and my uh, family. All right. Well, of course, you know, a a significant portion of that would go back to the state government, which... You know they need more of my money, so I help. Yeah. Every, I figure I help my family, I help state government. I'm doing my part as a, a as a good citizen. I thought you were going to say ammo, uh, but but I, I I I guess not. So, 
to wrap it up, I mean, the Biden administration, you know, that's in play. Uh, we're still in lockdown here. What what do you think that's going to what do you think is going to happen next? I mean, what's if you could make some predictions and some forecasts and look forward uh, for this year, you know, the, the legislature is pretty quiet. We didn't talk about the legislature a lot today because the legislature hasn't really been doing anything like literally, which is maybe not such a bad thing, to be honest <laughs> with you, for Illinois at this point. If they want to get involved in the in the in the COVID stuff, like if somebody would let the legislature know that there is a global pandemic and they might want to participate in it, and that they might want to bring some something, you know, to the party on that, that would be fine. A quiet legislature in Illinois is typically a good legislature. Agreed. Um, but so you know, so we didn't have a lot of that to talk about this week. We will have a new general assembly that uh, that that gets ramped up. And it will be ramping up here over the next couple of weeks. What do you anticipate coming out of that? And I also wanted to hit you up. What do you anticipate being the next things to go down with the Biden-Harris administration? Well, unfortunately, it's it's all not good. Um, not, not for taxpayers, anyway. We still have a $4 billion budget deficit in this fiscal year. Um, that needs to be uh, uh, closed, not to mention the next fiscal year. We're not supposed to be worrying about this fiscal year's budget, but we have to because lawmakers and uh, Governor Pritzker approved a budget that was so far out of whack and relying on rainbows and, and unicorns um, to be balanced. Uh, but now that we're seven months into the fiscal year, um, we have uh, realities to face. So we have to close the budget gap this year. We have to close the budget gap next year. Unfortunately, uh, all our lawmakers know how to do to close budget gaps is to um, uh, uh, raise taxes. So watch for watch out for your wallets uh, in Springfield. And now with the progressive policies being pushed in Washington D.C., it's it, it's a lot of the same same type of thing. Um, the one check that we have is that you've got a, a U.S. Senate that's uh, 50 Democrats and 50 Republicans. So there is some balance there. But on any votes that are tied, for example, if, if there's a partisan vote on a, a, a measure that comes out 50-50, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris has the tie-breaking vote. So she will side, of course, with the Democrats because she is a Democrat. So it's it's, it's kind of kind of wor worrisome. Mm. I was really hopeful that you were to, you know, kind of send us out on a on a on a high happy note there. Um, not, not, not that didn't really happen. <laughs> I'm sorry to disappoint. <laughs> I wish I could have. Well, welcome to the new normal. Um, uh, for Dan McCaleb, this has been Chris Krug. You've been listening to the Illinois in Focus podcast here on the Illinois Radio Network. Now over to Greg Bishop for a look at what the team from the Center Square will be working on next week. Next week, we'll review some of the policy initiatives lawmakers expect to tackle when they return to the Capitol for the start of spring legislative session. We'll also track how continuing COVID-19 concerns are impacting businesses, schools, sports, and more. This has been Illinois in Focus. For more Illinois stories and commentary online, visit thecentersquare.com. For the Center Square, Illinois, I'm Greg Bishop.